Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful morning so far, celebrating you. Lord, thank you that uh, we're privileged to see, even in the, uh, the younger generation, Lord, uh, a desire to honor you, a desire to use gifts, a desire to um, glorify you. So, Lord, thank you for that blessing. And now as we open your word, uh, Father, as we've been looking at your love, the love of God, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that impact us through Christmas and, and all the busyness of the season? How can the love of God, the love you have for each one of us, impact us today and, and really for all eternity? So, so as we continue to look at that through your word now, uh, we ask you to do what only you can do through your Holy Spirit. Help us to comprehend it. But then, Lord, even beyond that, to apprehend it, to appropriate it, to make it real, to make it personal, Lord, to bring application and and then in the application to be transformed into the image of Jesus day by day, moment by moment. So, so Father, we we know that's beyond us in our own capabilities. So we we ask you to do what only you can do. We yield, we submit uh, in the name of Jesus to to sing what you're going to do in and through the preaching of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Ephesians 3 has been a prayer that's launched us into Christmas. And it's the Apostle Paul. It's a prayer he has for the believers in the city called Ephesus. And this is what he says. Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The prayer that we have been looking at is one that the Apostle Paul has for believers. He says, hey, Christians, hey believers, I want you to know, I want you to be rooted, I want you to be grounded, I want you to know experientially the love of God. The love of God. Now many of us, with the best of intentions and, and zeal and enthusiasm, easily get kind of more caught up in the love for God. We want to demonstrate the love for God and, and all this is for God. We've kind of slowed down and we've said, you know, this Christmas... Let's really look at the love of God. And that is actually, for many, much more difficult. Receiving love. Think about that. That already makes someone comfortable to be loved. What does that even mean in our culture anymore? So many people are looking for love, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places, right? What does it mean to be loved? Why does that make, make you or me uncomfortable? Why don't we even want to believe that we could be loved? What is it in us that is resistant to receiving even God's love? What in us makes us want to, you know, I got to go. I can, this, this is already uncomfortable. The love of God. What, what is it in my story and in your story that has made love, which is supposed to be the most beautiful thing on this planet, because God is love. What has happened in our stories? What has happened in our culture where the word is so twisted, distorted, abused, you know, made into this thing that many of us, when we say, hey, God loves you, hey, Jesus loves you, not only do you not not sure what that means anymore, you don't even know what to do with that anymore because you've been maybe conditioned that love is conditional. If this, then I'll love you. If this, then I'll accept you. If, 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 this if-then condition placed on love. And so now you come to church and we open the Bible and we're talking about God's love for you and it's almost like a foreign language. Or maybe it's like there's something in you that is drawn to it and you're like, oh, I, I, I just, oh. And then at the same time, and, you, and you're in this, in this 
kind of no man's land of wanting to, to, to just do this and let the love of God, that the God of the universe, could really just love you and you just, there's a party that wants to just let go of all the battling and all the hurt and all the pain and all the anger and all the rage and all the confusion and you just want to be loved. And at the same time, because of all the hurt, rage, confusion, abuse, all that kind of stuff, there's a part of you that says, stay away. And so there's this conflict that, that's going on, right? And, and that's why we're kind of just layering this and we're kind of using the Christmas season to say, what does the love of God even mean to me personally, right? That J.B. Phillips says, the very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. As believers, everything we do should be doing is really an overflow, should be an overflow of the love of Christ, the love of God coming into my life and then flowing out. Not this sort of pseudo-works thing where we're trying to prove our love for God. And it's a very subtle distinction and a subtle trap that the church has fallen into where we're so busy and so almost like put under the, the, the press of show God you love Him, show God you love Him, you know? No. What we're supposed to be doing is letting the love of Christ so, you know, the Bible says the, the Holy Spirit pours out. The love of Christ, the love of God being poured out into my heart so it just goes like this. Just goes like this, right? Because it's really the source. First John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. Think about that. The source of love is Him. True agape love. We talked about it last Sunday. Agape love, self-sacrificial love, supernatural love, the love on the cross is only possible because he first loved us. It comes this way. Right? John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's the thing. The the as he has loved us, we go this way. And here's what he says in this. As we go this way, that's the testimony of the church. You're like, oh, how can I glorify God? How can I honor God? What can I do to bear witness? How can I be salt and light? Jesus himself says, you want to do that? You want to be salt and light? You want to be, you know, a living testimony? And oh, hi, here's how you do it. Love one another. In the same way he loved you. Whoa. Wow. It's a whole other level, right? And this love is supposed to be just who we are. We looked at this Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That word walk there is very important because again, we can in our culture tend to, you know, eventize, I don't even know if that's a real word, eventize love. I'm going to show you my love by this. Here's how I love you, right? How do I love you? Let me count the way, right? All this kind of stuff. That word, it says we're to walk in love, which means as followers of Jesus, our life is to be characterized by agape love. They're not one-offs. It's not special events. It's not seasonal. It's not holiday. We are to be walking in love. Our daily conduct, our lifestyle should manifest Agape love. We're like, well, how is that possible? Because daily we're to be receiving his love. It's a daily relational love that's coming here and going here. That's how it works. It's a new covenant relationship. It's not religion, it's relationship if you've heard that, right? It's, a, it's love. It's spiritual, right? Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. The type of love we're talking about is supernatural. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And you're like, okay, well, how does that work? Again, you've got to be getting it this way. It's got to come from the Spirit in your relationship this way, and it goes out that way. It's a spiritual love. It's not driving yourself into the ground trying to prove your love. It's a fruit. It's a fruit, right? We saw last Sunday, 1 John 4, 16. We have, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That first phrase was really, really, I think for many of us as a church, key. It says, we have come to know and to believe. 
the love that God has for us. Real important distinction there. It's two different words. It says we have come to know and to believe. So we'll start with believe. Many of you here, again, last Sunday we covered it. You may believe, you may assent to the truth that God loves you. I get it. Yeah, sure. Awesome. So that's to believe. But look at what he says. He says, we have come to know. You might believe it, but do you know it? That word is gnosko. The word for know is gnosko, which means to know experientially. Right? It's like... uh, you go into the commons afterwards, there's a bunch of donuts, and you're staring at it, and you look at the donut, and it's a glaze, chocolate glaze, right? And you know a lot about the donut, but until you bite, right, Randy? Until you bite that donut, <laughs> you know the donut, or the Dodger dog, right? So I've heard, I grew up, Randy took me to the Dodger game, I would, I'm a Padre fan, but I grew up in San Diego hearing about these Dodger dogs, you know, and pictures of them. So I kind of knew a lot about the, the tradition and, right, if you ever go, you got to get a Dodger dog. So I knew, like in my head, a lot about them. But then we went and I got a Dodger dog. And I can say, I know a Dodger dog. So the same thing with God's love. You might know a lot about God's love, but do you know God's love. That makes a world of difference in how you conduct your everyday life. The difference between here and here. Believing and knowing. Right? And so he's like, well, well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Primarily through the Word of God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we get to know the love of, the love of God is through His Word. It's the power the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and go, oh my gosh. How many of you have ever studied the Scriptures in the past and you kind of known it, maybe you have memorized it. How many of you have ever come to the place, this place where this verse or this passage suddenly came to life for you personally? You ever had that moment? You're like, I have memorized this verse, I memorized this verse or this passage five years ago, and I just came across it, and I was like, what? You were floored, right? It, it, you're, however God does this in the spiritual realm, he opens your eyes, and this, this verse, you now know it. You knew about it, you memorized it, you might have even studied it. But so for whatever reason, at this station in your life, it becomes personal. You're living this. That's what we're talking about. Right? That's what we're talking about here. And so it's primarily through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And we're looking at that. Because it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So in our, as we move forward in our series here on the love of God, we're looking kind of with the Christmas theme about gift, the gift and giving and love, right? And so last week in this verse it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So last Sunday we talked about the giver and the recipient. And how if you, I'm hoping that you took time this week and maybe had a oh my gosh moment when you paused and you said, wait, the giver and I'm the recipient? Oh my gosh, right? That was our moment last Sunday looking at the giver and the recipient of this gift. Today we're going we're gonna to focus on the actual gift. The actual gift because it says again in that verse, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God, right? And I want to encourage you to hang in there because this word gift, gift from God, and this verse is so familiar that we tend to just gloss right over it. This is one of those early, as a believer, memory verses, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But we're focusing on the nature of the gift. What is the gift, right? And in fact, the part of the sermon title today is, right, what'd you get? What did you get? Right? I remember growing up, even now you get presents, and you open up as a family, right? And one of the questions I would ask my brothers and my sisters, right, because we were kind of a little bit comparing, right? You ever compare growing up? So you turn over and you're like, hey, what'd you get? What did you get? Right? What did you get? But did you ever have one of those moments when you opened a gift and you weren't quite sure what it was? Anyone? Like... Hey, what did you get? And you're like, I don't really know. 
I think it's, anyone ever like a, like a little bit of a, I'm not sure what this is, right? Maybe it's something like your kid made you. Like, you're like, I think it's a hand, but I'm not sure. It could be a foot. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure what I got here, right? One of those moments of like, what did you get? And you're like, I'm not sure what I got as a gift. Right. Or or maybe you were you received it and you ran into the person that gave it to you. You're like, hey, do you like that gift? Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Are you using it? I didn't even know I was supposed to use it. I didn't know what it was. You know, right. This weirdness, like if you're not sure what the gift is, it it makes things can can make things really kind of wonky. Well, it's the same thing if you don't know the gift of God. It can make things kind of strange. Right. And and I was thinking about this because we tend to in that verse and we're going to come back to the verse. But I was talking with the guys earlier. We tend to sort of be sort of sometimes one dimensional as believers. And and let let me explain what I mean. I challenged the guys this morning in our meeting. I said, hey, let me just ask you a question. What's the gospel? Now, many of you will say, what's well, good news? Right? I mean, yeah, sure, the word gospel means good news. But what is the gospel? And I'm going to guess a very large percentage of you here, or you listening online, will say, hey, the gospel, the good news is Jesus died for you. Is that the gospel? Or is that just part? of the gospel because your your understanding of the gospel has implications for how you live but also how you share it see if you don't fully understand what the gospel is there's implications so so we're going to talk about this actually more next week uh this past easter we looked at this here and in fact i want to i want to help you a little bit first corinthians 15 says this for i delivered to you this is the apostle paul speaking to the christians at corinth For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So, most people would say, if I ask you before you read that, what is the gospel? You would say, Jesus died for you. Period. What is the gospel? Jesus died for you. Period. That's really not biblically complete. That is not the gospel not the gospel and if you stop there if you put a period that the gospel is jesus died for you period and that's end of story it's impacting your christian life right now it is 100 percent impacting your christian life if you only believe the gospel is that jesus died because biblically the apostle paul tells us what the gospel is look at this i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day that is the gospel. If you leave out the resurrection, it's like only one foot. You're missing out half of the gospel. In fact, you're missing out on the resurrection power of the gospel. See, most people, again, this, is, this, is, this will tie back into the gift. If you don't understand the gospel and you're walking around thinking the gospel is Jesus died for me, most of you are walking around like, gosh, Jesus died for me. Now I just got to go prove and I just got to live my life to thank him for dying for me. I was such a sinner that Jesus died for me. And now until I get to heaven, I just got to carry this guilt and shame that someone had to die for me. A lot of the church lives that way. That's why the church is kind of in the state that it is. Because you're wearing, you're, you, we're, we're burdened with guilt and shame and condemnation that Jesus died for us. Because you're not, you're not living the whole gospel. Look at it again. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. We call that Good Friday. That he was buried. Good Friday. But the gospel doesn't end at Good Friday. And a lot of Christians are living in Good Friday. Okay, maybe you've moved to Saturday. But a ton of Christians are not living Easter Sunday. ton of Christians are not living Easter Sunday because the third, he was raised on the third day. Okay, now, 
If you really understood that, that would be a big amen. He was raised on the third day. Let me give you some scripture. It says, Romans 6, 4, as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may walk in newness of life. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Because he was raised from the dead, we know we're going to be raised from the dead. You see what happens when you only know half the gospel and live half the gospel? You're, you're missing out on the whole resurrection life. You're missing out on the abundant life that you're supposed to have right now, 2019, December 25th, December 15, 2019 at 1048 a.m. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be living resurrection life. Because he's alive. See, what happens is a whole lot of people in history were crucified. Only one rose from the dead. And we claim to know him, and the Bible says we have the same power in us through the Holy Spirit. Just saying. Just saying. This is what happens when you don't have the full picture. And we're going to talk about the relationship between Christmas and Good Friday and Easter next Sunday, right? But this is my point in going here was to teach a little bit, but also to help you understand you got to know the full deal. You got to know the full deal because it impacts you. How many of us today are living the truth that you have the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in you as you sit here? I mean, come on. I, I don't. But if, you're, if your definition of gospel is Jesus died, Right? So going back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Right? ESV says this. We'll put it up the ESV. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay. How many would say, are you saved? Would say, yes, I'm saved. Right? Now everyone's nervous because I know who you are. (laughs) So I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. What does that mean? Saved. Right? Because according to this, the, the, the object of the gift, right? You have been saved through faith. It's not of your It is the gift of God. The it refers to being saved or salvation, right? Okay. So gift is the, the salvation being saved is the gift. What does that mean? Right? Like saved. Now, most will say this. And it's not wrong, but it's incomplete. Most of you here and most of you listening will say this, saved from hell. But that's not the whole story. And if that's only how you're defining what the gift is, again, it's only part of the story. And in fact, with the gospel, it was half. And in this sense, it might be what you'll see in a bit. It's a third Being saved from the penalty of sin is only one-third of the gift. It's only one-third of the gift. Anyone over here here ever get a box or something, a present, and there was more than one thing in it? And you're like, like, oh, dude, I got got the yo-yo. You're like, yeah. And then mom's like, there's more in there. What? There's more. Oh, I didn't see that. There's more. What? Ah! Well, there's kind of, that's kind of like salvation, the gift. There's more in the box than just being saved from the penalty of sin. There's more in the box. But again, if you define the gift as only being saved from the penalty of sin, take this the right way, a lot of Christians kind of view the gift as a get-out-of-hell card. You said a prayer, you, you responded, you put your faith in Jesus, you got the gift, and you're only defining it as a card. that You're, you're now a card-carrying. You're a card-carrying member of the not-going-to-hell crowd. That, that's what a lot of people define the gift is. Only that. You're saved from the wrath of God. That's true, but that's not... Look in the box. There's more in the box. That's what we're looking at today, that there's more in the box, right? The word saved actually means this. In the Greek, it means rescue, deliverance, protection. So when you're saved, know what you're saying. You've been delivered, you've been rescued. Primarily, when you say, if I say, hey, are you saved? And, I, and you're like, yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? 
hopefully you will say, I've been, I've been delivered. And then, of course, you know me. I'm going to say, delivered from what? And you're going to say, delivered from the penalty of sin. And I'm going to say, and what else? And you're like, that's why I'm sitting here waiting for you to tell me. Because that's all I knew. That I wasn't going to H-E double hockey sticks. And so, you know, you got to know what's, what's in the box. Yes. Okay, so sozo, we are rescued, we are delivered, right? And so in the box, we'll look at it this way. In the box, it's like a multi-tool. I went out yesterday and, you know, I got one of these. You're like, dude, cool, it's a pocket knife, right? Oh no, it's much more. There's a spoon and a fork, right? But if I only use the knife, wouldn't it be kind of silly for me to go camping with the guys and like, dude, I brought my knife. They're like, isn't there a fork and spoon in there, Richie? Like, oh, my bad. Right? It's kind of like what's in the box is one of these multi-tool things. But most of us think it's, we've only been saved from the penalty of sin. Yeah, that's part of it. But hopefully by the end of our time together, you're going to realize the other elements, the other gifts is part of the box. Because you've got to use them all. You want to live a victorious, abundant life, you've got to daily, all three of them matter. Moment by moment, all three of them matter. Right? So what we call it the three tenses of salvation. First tense is past tense. We were saved from the penalty of sin. And many of you know this if you knew. We're saved, past tense. It's called justification. Everyone say justification. Right? Some verses. Titus 3.5. He saved us. Past tense. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.1. Here's the word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Advent reading. The justification is this, okay? This is primarily how we understand the gospel or salvation. It's a legal declaration. You put your faith in Jesus, God makes a legal, judicial declaration, not guilty, fully righteous. You are positionally declared by God, by Father, to be not guilty, but not just not guilty, fully righteous, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's crazy, right? As you sit here, if you're a believer, as you sit here, whenever you put your faith in Jesus, a legal declaration from God, the judge, was made about you. Not guilty, fully righteous. As you sit here, positionally, you know what that means? He likes you. He loves you. As his son and daughter, you've been adopted into the family. You're in the fam. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Positionally, he sees you as not guilty and fully righteous. Now, literally, that should impact how you wake up every day. That the God of the universe, you're in his family, and you're, there's therefore now no condemnation. There's so much freedom in that. There's so much freedom in that, right? Romans 5, 9 kind of summarizes it, past, present, and future. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, we are not a hellfire and brimstone type of church, right? I've been in ministry for 30 years. I recognize I'm not going to scare anyone into heaven. The Bible does teach about the wrath of God and the judgment of God. That's in the Bible. But I'm telling you, through faith in Jesus, by the love of God, you can be declared not guilty, fully righteous. I don't want to scare you into heaven. I want to love you into heaven. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the good news. Amen, right? That's the good news, right? In fact, if you understand justification, it actually makes John 3:16 through 18 much more real, right? Most of the time at football games on TV, you'll see John 3:16. I kind of wish they would go to 18 because it actually makes more sense. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, let's keep going. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, delivered, rescued. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Doesn't it help you when you read the full context? Adding two more verses really makes the gospel good news. Actually, you even understand Christmas. Right? You understand Christmas. So, when was the last time you actually took time to reflect that not guilty, fully righteous? When was the last time you just had quiet time with Father and were overwhelmed by the fact of the truth of justification personally? Not doctrinally as some big doctrinal statement, but for you personally to go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I've carried so much guilt and I've carried so much performance anxiety and I've lived in such this heaviness of trying to prove myself. Are you kidding me? Through faith in Jesus, I'm not guilty and I'm fully righteous. Are you kidding? I'm in? When was the last time you were overwhelmed by being in? Like in, like, and he's happy you're in. Like, turn to the person next to you and say, and father's happy you're in the family. Go ahead, just turn to them. And father, father's happy you're in the family. Right? Right? It's like, because sometimes you're like, you come to church and you're like, oh man, you know, am I in? Are people glad I'm here? Am I, is, you know, or like, did I just sneak in through the back door? You know, type of thing. Am I welcome here? Here's the crazy thing. Justification says you're in the fam. You're in. You're just in. Crazy, but positionally, it's in. you're in. It's, it's, it's done deal, right? So, second tense. So, we have past tense. We were saved from the penalty of sin. So, here's some new stuff. We are saved from the power of sin. That's in the box. There's a present tense saving, right? Let me tell you. Give me some verses. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He's talking about sanctification. Second Thessalonians. But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, for others beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Right? Philippians 2 talks about working out your salvation. Not working for, working it out to completion. Right? So what are we talking about here? There's a present tense saving, being saved. It's called sanctification. It's a process. It's progressive sanctification. We spent a long time on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And our, one of the key pictures I wanted to show you was this. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it, talks, it says, be transformed. The word transformed in the Greek is metamorphosis. This is metamorphosis. The caterpillar, and you know, sometimes on YouTube, you know, if you watch those uh, motivational things, sometimes there's this common phrase now, be the best version of yourself. You kind of, if you watch that, you know what I'm talking about, right? People are striving to be the best version of yourself. Here's the crazy thing. That caterpillar is not striving to be the best caterpillar. That caterpillar is in transformation to become something completely different. Amen? A butterfly. A lot of Christians think that you're just trying to be a better version of yourself. That's not being transformed. You're supposed to, you and I are supposed to go through metamorphosis. In fact, the Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus, you're a new creation. A new creation. You know what that means? It's not one of those shows, those TV shows. How many of you used to watch it? I mean, it was really popular, still popular now, but how many would watch those renovation shows? Take a house and, okay, pointing that way. Thanks, Mark. Right? Pointing to... So a lot of people think that I got to be a believer and now even as a Christian, sanctification means renovation. So you're trying to clean up the old house. No, when the Bible says you're a new creation, that word new means never existed before. It never existed before. It's like the prototype car that comes out, the new model. It's not like the next F-150 2010, 2011, 2012. It's not the next in line. It's brand new. So when you put your faith in Christ, you become a journey into something brand new that's never existed before on this planet. 
Now, progressive sanctification is you have habits, you have a lifestyle, you've got stuff, the sin nature ingrained in you. So it's progressive because you are working it out. You're becoming more and more like the butterfly. You're not just becoming a better caterpillar. See, this part of the gift, the present tense part of salvation, takes Christianity far away from being good moral people. You see? If, if, if I only look in the box and I'm like, oh, I was saved from the penalty of sin, now I've just got to be a good moral person because my sins were paid for because Jesus died for me. Now Christianity is being a good moral person. Now we keep track of all the good things we do and all the bad things we avoid. Now we're doing things out of duty and obligation and we have no joy. It's just moral. It's just morality. If the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead, if the other part in the box says you're delivered from the power of sin, it's a new day. I'm no longer just trying to be a moral person. I'm living a supernatural life. A supernatural life. How many of you would honestly bear witness, bear testimony that God has done a miracle in and through your life? Like changed your habits, changed your language. Anyone? Right? I heard about your language, but you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> just kidding. Well, not really, but okay. So, where does that come from? It's not from, oh, no, no, you know, bad me, bad me, don't cuss, bad me. It's like, no, Lord, I'm a new creation. Change my language from the inside out, supernaturally. Amen? Right? I once was selfish and self-consumed and I was made. Now it's like I'm loving and I want to give and I want to serve. Where is that coming from? God. How many of you before you were a believer, you would be asleep right now at 11 o'clock on Sunday? Okay. How many of you like love to come to church now as a believer? Where did that come from? That's for some of you, that's super supernatural. To be here early on Sunday. Amen? I mean, we got people rolling in here at 7.30, 8 o'clock every Sunday to start this. And I'm like, that is a miracle of God. There's so much joy. I listen for two hours of joy of the people who come early, set up. They're laughing. They're joking. They're doing communion. I sit back and I'm like, that is a miracle of God. Who does that? They're not getting paid. Why are they here? It's a miracle of God. You got to recognize that. How many of you love reading scripture? Where does that come from? God. Because how many of you wanted nothing to do with it? Couldn't even understand it as before. Mumbo jumbo, religion, book. I don't, boring. And now it's like, I got to read it. I got to memorize it. That's God. That's the butterfly. That's transformation, right? So that's in the box. That's in the box. Metamorphosis. Romans 6.6. 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. You literally can say no. Which also means literally you can't blame shift. The devil made me do it. No, you can't do that as a believer. Because this says you're no longer a slave to sin a choice now and the more you choose obedience and not disobedience you glorify god even the smallest choice that nobody even knows i was about to cuss and i didn't glorified god and nobody even knew but him that's what we're talking about every part of your life every part of your life right romans 6 do not let sin control the way you live do not give in to sinful desires do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That's new life. That's in the box. That's part of the gift. Right? So that's present tense. Part of the gift, right? So there's past tense, there's present tense, now there's future tense, right? So we were saved from the penalty of sin, justification. Present tense, we are saved from the power of sin, sanctification. Future tense, right? Third thing in the box. 
We will be saved from the presence of sin. Glorification. You know why is that, that's helpful? Because this isn't all there is, folks. How many of you, age has caught up with your body and things seem to be duct taped together and you're... You get to that place where your peer group, you're sharing the latest ailments and meds. Praise God that this isn't all there is. Amen? Right? What does it say? First Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's kept. It's waiting for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for, future tense, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. First Thessalonians. God is not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Who is ready for a new body? Who is ready to be delivered from the presence of sin? You look at this world, right? And it can be absolutely discouraging you just shake your head to things you read and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it's like Titanic. And, and if you're not careful and if you lose perspective, if you don't know that there's a third gift in there, even as a believer, you can go down the rabbit hole. Depression, despondency, discouragement, anger. But for us, it's incredible. First John 3 Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're children now, but we know there's, an, there's a future. Amen? So maybe today you're going through something. And it's, you've been so, you know, you're like me. If something happens in your life, how many of you tend to fixate on it? Like, and the more you fix on it, fixate on it, everything in, on the planet just becomes this. Right? I love this, and I was thinking about this future tense part of the gift of salvation because it helps me pull out to what we say around here, 10,000 feet. It helps me look at what I'm going through today, and it still can be extremely hard and extremely difficult, and I still don't know what is going to happen. I can look at it, though, from eternal perspective. And it tells me to take a deep breath. And go, thank you, Father. That it's not just past and it's not just present, but there's future. There's a third part of the gift. And one day you're going to make it right. And there's going to be no more tears. And there's going to be no more pain and sorrow and death and no more sin. Yeah, that's our living hope. That keeps us above it all. Right? That keeps us rooted and grounded. So there's three tenses. Past tense future tense, uh, present tense, and future tense. Justification, sanctification, glorification, right? But here's the crazy thing. And this brings us back to Christmas. This is exactly, in Matthew, why Jesus came. Look at this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That same word save is the same word in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Deliver, rescue past, present, and future. This is what Christmas is. This is why he came, is to offer this crazy gift. Offer this gift, Mark ten forty five. for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So how do we make this real? How do we like, okay, awesome, I get it, right? Three tenses, past, present, future, 
okay, wow, lot to chew on. How do I go from kind of like agreeing with that to knowing it personally? And I was like, okay, how do we how do we take a step, just even a baby step, to not just comprehend but make it real? And I came across this, and it really I never thought about this way, and, and it really helped me just in the way I've been wired. In Luke 23, it tells the story of Jesus being crucified. And if you remember the story, Jesus is crucified, and there's two criminals crucified on either side of him, right? And, and I'm going to read this because it will help some of us. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So how do we bring this all the way back to the love of God? How do we bring this back to receiving a gift to be, you know, God's grace? And I read something and it really made me think. You see, when they, when they crucified people, you've seen the pictures, right? It's, historically, it's through the wrists. And then they would put their feet like this and they would, you know, go through. So I was reading something that really made me think that criminal who received salvation on the cross, he couldn't do anything. He was literally stuck. Physically. He couldn't go serve to pay back. He couldn't go do a lot of good works. He was literally fixed in a position where it was just about receiving. Right? And for me, who's wired to perform and earn or pay back, someone does something for me, I got to like pay them back. Even if they don't know I'm paying them back, I got to like pay them back. Right? Because it's hard for me just to receive grace and this love. So I got to feel like, oh man, you did this for me, bro. I got your back here and payback. That thing really stopped me. And so I thought, well, let's, let's, let's try a little thing here to maybe help you because we're made physical beings. And so maybe this will help some of you. If you're comfortable doing this, you don't have to, but for some of you, it might help. You're sitting down. Sit on your hands. If you're comfortable, and then cross your feet. Kind of makes it hard to do anything, isn't it? I just want you to experience being locked and not able to move for a second. Because Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it's a gift. And it's just to be received. You can't move. You don't merit it. There's nothing in you that made him want to do it, like in terms of performance, works. You can't boast. You're sitting on your hands and your legs are crossed and you can't do anything. Except maybe receive. Just like the criminal next to Jesus who just received. He couldn't do anything, right? I can't even imagine what that at that moment was like. Are you kidding me? The love of God for me sitting here unable to do anything to pay you back. I'm just here. Everything in me wants to do something. I got to get up. I got to go. I'm very uncomfortable being this helpless and unable to do anything. Everything in me, I'm very uncomfortable in this. It's, it's taken me a while to, because I, I sit and I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta do, I gotta go. And he's like, no, sit there, it's a gift. It's a gift, just sit. You can't do anything except receive, right? I wanna sing this song, you can come on up, Vinny. We're gonna sing a song, and here's what we're gonna do. 
if you're at a place in your heart where you're like, wow, and love of God is like, you're like, God, I, I want to know your love. Maybe the one thing you'll do is this. Take your hands out from under your legs and maybe just do this. And receive. That's all you can do. If you want to know the love of God, you just receive. You're helpless. There's nothing in you or me to merit it. You just receive. You just receive. That's why the, the, the down and outs, the highways and byways people, the outcasts in society, the, the woman caught in prostitution and all that, you know why they were so drawn to Jesus? Because they just received. They just received. They understood there was nothing in them to merit it. And they just said, oh my gosh, I am one of the much loved. So as we sing this song, maybe you just do this with your hands and you just receive. And you let the love of God be poured out into your hearts. Father, we thank you. As we sit here, we live in a culture where it's very hard to receive. And then we magnify that exponentially into the gospel of your grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Father, maybe this little experiment of sitting on our hands and crossing our legs as a symbol and a tangible uh, experience of helplessness gets us to a place of receiving the gift of salvation. And maybe there's somebody here who never received the gift. And maybe it's clearer. Jesus Christ didn't just die for your sins. He rose from the dead. That you would have new life. It's not just about the past, but it's about the present and the future. Through Jesus, the penalty for your sins has been paid. You're delivered from the power of sin. And one day you're going to be delivered from the presence of sin with the rest of us. So, according to Ephesians 2, put your faith in Jesus. You may not get it all, but in the best way you know how, trust Jesus for your salvation. Receive the gift. Just simply receive. Nothing you can do. Just receive. Father, thank you for loving us like you do. And I ask, in accord with Romans 5, 5, that the love of God would be poured out through your Holy Spirit into our hearts. As we reflect and as we sing this song, may you pour out your love into our hearts.